0: lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson.
1: Thanks for being with us today. We've got a really interesting show. We've got Dr. Cherise and her early years were full of change and uncertainty, as she, she went to a different school every year until she got to high school. Stability came to her when she started college, and she went on to get a, a B.A. in both vocal music and human development and family studies, an M.A. in professional counseling, and a Ph.D. in counseling psychology, with a focus on crisis and trauma. During this time, Dr. Charisse found mentors and her teachers who gave her opportunities where she could work towards impacting the lives of others. This proved to be a turning point for her and fueled her passion for helping others. She encountered individuals who lived far beneath their potential and blamed everything other than themselves and their effort for the situation. And that's pretty easy to do. We, we, I'm sure I've experienced that before. As a psychotherapist, she stresses both intention and personal responsibility for growth. As a clinician, she's worked with individuals, couples, families, and guided them in navigating challenging life transitions and past traumas. Her specialization is in the area of marriage and family, eating disorders, trauma, and attachment, and providing support to those seeking identity development. That's... That's a broad range that you cover, Dr. Charisse, and I can't wait to learn more about it. You've got specialized training in trauma. You're an integrative practitioner, highly skilled in, in embodied recovery and brain spotting. So we've got a lot to talk about. You're a <laughs> formal educator. You've always had a deep love for educating and supporting students, and we certainly our education needs that. That is for sure. So thank you for being with me today.
2: And thank you so much for having me. Yes, it is a broad range because we as humans are quite complex, um, but I love it.
1: We are. And, you know, the the brain is quite complex, and I love that. So we have a lot to talk about because everything you do, everything you don't do, it all depends on what's going on in the brain. You're right. You're Spot on. (laughs) (laughs) So as a child, I mean, we understand. I understand where your motivation came from. I cannot imagine going to a different school every year as a child.
2: You know, what's so wild is until I got older, I actually didn't know just how much of a magnitude that has on life or that that wasn't normal. So when you grow up that way, and it's what you've always done to me, it just became, well, this is the next place. This is where you adapt. And I was never with anyone long enough to go, oh, you've been in one school for all of elementary or all your life. That was foreign to me. Well, did you have siblings? I do have siblings, but my siblings are a significant amount Of years older than I am. Ah. So although I'm the youngest, I kind of grew up as an only. Um, And because of the age and stage of where I was when my parents separated, my siblings had a little bit more stability. They were in New York for a while and, and there and they were a constant. Then we moved to a part of Georgia and they were there for a constant. So around the time that I was starting to become aware of all of this change. They were off in the military um, and off doing their own things.
1: Well, I had a brother ten years older, and I, so I understand what you're saying. I mean, and I'll never forget. I'm six years old, and I was having my tonsils taken out, and he brought me a present, which was 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 very well appreciated. But I'm sitting there and he wants to talk about music and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know what he's talking about. (laughs) I'll never forget that because I thought it was I was so happy to see him. But when you're six and he's 16, what do you talk Mm -hmm. about?
2: Yeah. Now, I was pretty blessed in this sense, I will say. I actually had a really great relationship with both of my brothers. They became those pseudo father figures in my life. And my oldest brother in particular stayed close. So even though he didn't live with us the entire time, I think he was kind of the family protector and always lived within a 30 minute or less um, kind of ratio. So I had some good moments with them and and we have a great relationship.
1: Well, that's great because at least having that one stability in your life, Mm -hmm. I'm sure gave you something, gave you something to hold on to.
2: It it did, you know, because it's different, you know, and again, I'm sure I'm not the only person under the sound of our voices that have grown up without a male figure, but it's just a very different dynamic. And I think it's a dynamic that also plays a part into relationships and the experiences that you have. You need at least loving relationships with both males and females in your life, um, just to give you perspective.
1: Well, you know, you're so right. My dad died when I was 12. And oh, he had been a very, I mean, no, he'd been a very big part of my life until then. But once he was gone, it was like I'm i truly, truly. And, and looking back at the time, I didn't know anything except I hated God for my dad dying. And, you sure. know, but, yeah. but looking back, I can see how I really missed that male perspective.
2: Yeah. And I believe as females, there is a big part of us that gains our security. If we have a healthy relationship with our father, that's where we learn about what it means to be loved and what it looks like, you know, to be treated well. So those pieces can be missing. I had a phenomenal mother who I feel like did everything that she could to be both parents, um, to the degree that that's possible, but there's still just some parts of who we are that becomes a little bit lost and things aren't as developed when both parents aren't in our lives.
1: I certainly agree with that. and that's, you know, now it's not that uncommon. We're so many blended families, and there's mm-hmm. so much change. and yeah, and I, I honestly believe that, and this is just my personal opinion, but I believe one good parent is better than two bad parents.
2: I would completely agree. And there's a difference, right, in the level of even talking about the brain. Our brain needs safety, security, and consistency to develop well. And one good parent can do that in a way that two non-present, dysfunctional, or abusive parent can do. So I would agree with you.
1: Well, you know, talking about the brain, how the how the brain remembers things is the brain creates stories. And, you know, the yeah. brain's not fully developed until you're in your mid to late 20s. And mm-hmm. so the, the brain really doesn't care how accurate the stories are. And, you know, yeah. oh, don't have any information for that. Okay. I'll just stick that right in. So if you're Mm -hmm. pulling from emotional trauma to fill in the blanks, that in itself really, I think, hinders how you attach to people, Mm -hmm. how you trust. Mm -hmm. Trust is such a big deal, and it's something that I've seen in the last five years. I've seen trust go down.
2: Yeah. Well, I think people are starting to become more aware Of what's happening like you just described most of us don't even realize the stories that our brain is telling us how that shows up in our body we just know we have certain physical reactions around people and then it connects with memories that we don't even recognize are there or we think well if a person is not in my life like a parent then i'm over it it's not a big deal but it's still quietly playing underneath the surface and i do believe over the last 5 years we've seen a lack of trust and we've seen even up until this point the number one issue that people across the globe discuss or talk about or point out as something significant is loneliness yes um, and not feeling like they have secure attachments and a sense of belonging you know i was
1: really surprised i'm in dallas and on the sunday Dallas Morning News, the front page was an article on high school males and how they're affected by depression. And we talk, we're more willing to talk about that with females. And, but they talked about the role that loneliness plays in it. And when we went through the pandemic, I I honestly, I, I don't think that everybody that was died from COVID. That was said to, I think, like a lot of the people, a lot of the older people that were isolated, that couldn't be with their families, Mm -hmm. I think they died from loneliness.
2: Yeah, it's quite possible. You know, we are wired for connection. Even on our worst day where we feel like we're done with the world, there's still a part of us that wants to have those connections. And when you're in a long term situation that it's not possible that's an issue. And then, you know, going back to what you said about the males, depression in males also shows up differently than it does in females. So I believe it goes overlooked. We might view it as irritability or aggression instead of depression. And most males still carry this dynamic of feeling like it's not okay them to feel that way and they're unaware, so they're kind of walking around and self medicating in various ways or just internalizing it.
1: Well, and you make such a good point with that because it's so hard. Because I've worked with families, and the mom will say, Well, you know, I can tell when Betty's off, and Betty's a makeup name, of course, yeah. but but I can't tell when Jimmy, the other made up name, is mm-hmm. off. And it because it manifests so differently. Yeah. And I, I could imagine it can be very confusing for a particularly a single parent mm-hmm. that maybe has two or or more kids that are experiencing anxiety, mm-hmm. depression, and, and that can come from lack of sleep, lack mm-hmm. of nutritional stability. There's mm-hmm. so many things. And now I think that everybody has, on some level, has been bullied.
2: Yeah, which is extremely sad. You know, bullied, torn down, overlooked, a number of different things. You know, my hope is that as people, we also will continue to recognize we can't always look at a person and know what they're experiencing Um, Sometimes it is very blatant, but even when you do see it, you don't know how long it's been in place. Part of what I'm saying is I want us and my hope is always for us to recognize that we cannot look at someone and actually tell what they're experiencing. So it's important for us to stay connected to one another and to keep the conversation open so that when an individual may not feel comfortable showing how they feel, They may be willing to share how they feel if they know I can say this, this person supports me, I'm not hearing messages that make me feel like I need to be okay all the time, but we can't look at someone and actually tell they're depressed. I believe we get a lot of those images from movies and believing that it looks one way and that's just not always the case.
1: Yeah, and different cultures, what they how they express and what they express is so different. Yeah. There's not a template. And I think a lot of times people want that template because at the end they feel like they can control it. Okay, mm-hmm. if I know what to expect, if I know what to look for, if if I can just mm-hmm. see those red flags and I know what to do, then I'm okay. And it just I've worked with three generations of families and it always starts with the kid and then it goes to, mm-hmm. to the parents and then a couple times it's gone to the grandparents and it's mm-hmm. so different on every level but you have a you have uh, a specialty with eating disorders and that's something that i've always
2: just felt the
1: need to learn more about Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I started specializing in eating disorders about 10 to 12 years ago. And part of that was noticing when people were managing different things emotionally, how it also showed up in their eating. Yet, unfortunately, that's not always a part of the conversation. Like we place that in a separate basket. And I always want to help people understand That feeling well or well being is integrative. You know, I want you to live well, I want you to love well, I want you to play well. And how is that showing up in the way that you use food as a way to cope with what you're feeling? Because that's a very acceptable thing to do, and it's a very overlooked dynamic in the lives of most people.
1: That's you make a very good point. It is overlooked. And I don't think it's intentional. Do you?
2: No, it is definitely not intentional. And I tell, you know, different families and individuals I work with, you know, you didn't sit back one day and say, today's the day that I decided I want to have an eating disorder. It is an automatic response based on how you are managing what's happening in your brain and what's happening in your body. So people either go to kind of two ends of the spectrum. One, they're stressed, overwhelmed, sad, and so they have no appetite, or they're stressed, overwhelmed, and sad, and they have increased appetite and can fall everywhere in between Well, if that stress and overwhelm and anxiety maintains, then all of a sudden you have a habit, you have a pattern of managing and trying to cope. And once you start, it can be really challenging to break or to acknowledge this is actually a significant problem.
1: So is there an approach that you follow? Is there a model that you follow?
2: Or is it just dependent
1: upon each situation?
2: Yeah. So I really deal a lot with the existential model that focuses on the search for meaning and purpose, because whether it is how you're showing up in your relationships, what you believe about yourself or the way you're showing up with food at the core is, do I belong? Do I feel like my life has a purpose? And how am I managing my unmet needs? For example, someone may feel like they don't have great community and they don't feel loved or accepted or like they have something special and unique that is just for them. So food might be what they look forward to, and that becomes a way of coping, or they engage in relationships that aren't healthy for them because they just want to be accepted so bad that they don't filter out ones that are toxic. So as people come we really work to kind of peel back what's your story and how does your life story impact the way you're showing up today and from there what parts of that story do you want to change so that you feel like you can be focused on purpose versus just existing and trying to survive what do you
1: think is the hardest step for people
2: to take Can all of them be an answer? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody's so different. It is. I feel like the most challenging step is moving from awareness into action. So many people are open to recognizing what they are doing and how they're showing up. But change is really difficult, and especially when you've been doing something for several years, and it just feels like you could do it with your eyes closed. So knowing and being aware of your habits and your patterns and then working to put some kind of action in place to shift them is the most difficult thing for people because we want to feel better, but we typically don't want to do a lot to actually make that happen.
1: Well, that's the hard part, you know, when I Mm -hmm. have to own it and when I have to, when I have to be accountable for it, it takes a whole other level of complexity. It does
2: because it's uncomfortable as well. You know, even though we may not like the pattern that we're in, let's say if there's someone who goes, Hey, I take everything personal and I get easily offended Because I have always been criticized growing up and now in my workplace, we might be aware that we are super sensitive in some ways, but then that whole process of learning how to validate ourselves and realize that everything that everyone's saying may not be criticism, it's also pretty painful and uncomfortable, and that's what makes it challenging.
1: Well, and that's where those little ants come in, those automatic negative thoughts, You know, that ant runs through your head so fast and furious, you didn't even know it was there. But all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. you know, what you heard is probably could be very different than what was said because of the way that you interpret it. If you've, you know, Mm -hmm. if you've got those shoulds going in your head, oh, Mm -hmm. those shoulds will take you down with their little friends, you know, little shame and Mm -hmm. blame.
2: I hate those two. I know, but they love to hang out together and they can creep up so easily. And if they're really comfortable and they've been around for a while, then you really have to have some tools under your belt. You know, I always tell people if you're living life based on shoulds, you're actually bullying yourself.
1: That's very well said.
2: But I used to have the
1: worst case of the shoulds. And... (laughs) When I first started this business in 2009, Lee, you should do this. You should do this. Well, Lee, you didn't do that. No wonder nothing's, you know, what you want's not happening. And I learned mm-hmm. early on, you two, shoulds and must, you got to go. And it was yeah. as easy for me as I changed the shoulds and the coulds. Well,
0: mm-hmm. I could
1: do that. Well, mm-hmm. if I did, that would happen. Eh, I don't know about that. Well, this would happen. okay. Mm-hmm. And this would happen. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. I'll do it. So it the hard part's just catching them. And, you know, yeah. is it the shoulds? Or are you all or nothing thinking? Does everything have mm-hmm. to be just perfect? Or, or you don't do it?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? and, you know, you bring up a good point as well. You gave yourself permission to really consider everything doesn't have to be black or white. And it's okay to try. It's okay to go, well, this could happen and this could happen. When we can create and hold like alternative options in our mind, that significantly reduces the level of perfection, the shoulds, the must, even the negative thinking of, hey, I, this is not the end of the world. I'm going to make the best decision I can based on the information that I have. And if I need to make a shift or change something, I will and take the pressure off of ourselves.
1: You know, it's funny because we forget that a decision that we make can be unmade just as easily as it was made. You know, let's take like the the last four minutes and talk about those negative thoughts, self-defeating thoughts, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call them. We all have Mm -hmm. them at some point in time. And I have found in the last few years with the with what we went through with the pandemic, being isolated, that put a whole new flavor into it.
2: It did. And that's part of the catalyst for the book that I wrote is watching all of the conversations and the communication that people were disclosing in terms of, wait, life slowed down. I couldn't engage in all of my typical coping mechanisms of staying busy and being overproductive, and now they were sitting in the middle of all of those negative, self-defeating, self-deprecating thoughts around things that they thought they had moved past, and that can feel like a crisis, but it can also be an awakening and show you what's really there, and then you have the opportunity to decide, hey, I want to leave this behind. This isn't how I want to continue to live my life. And we have the ability to change our thought patterns.
1: Well, and I I love the term baggage because you can pick Mm -hmm. up that baggage or you can leave it. You know, we've all got baggage, but what we do with it, you know, I I think of baggage very much like I think of ego. It's best Mm -hmm. left at the door. (laughs)
2: I love that. And I love the concept of baggage, too, because it's different than our identity. If something is baggage, that means I can actually choose to pull some things out of the bag and eventually I can take the bag off and leave it at the door. But when we feel like something is who we are and what we are, then we feel like we can't move away from it and it's tied to us and baggage is not.
1: Well, and you make a good point because we get so we get so caught up in, in what's going on in our head, and mm-hmm. then, then we that becomes who we are. We lose mm-hmm. we lose sight, and and I've seen so many times that mental filter that we all have, and we, it it clicks on. We'll only pay attention to things that rein, reinforce what we believe. We totally. Yeah. Eh, Ignore the others. We've got a couple of minutes left. Is there a unhelpful thinking style that you've seen a lot of?
2: Yeah, catastrophizing, where uh, we have a situation and we go to worst case scenario and all we can think about is how awful it's going to be. And we literally think that one scenario, that one road is the truth.
1: Oh, yeah. But my favorite I love the fortune tellers, you know, the ones Mm, that jump to conclusions and, and I've done it. I know what you're thinking, or I think I do, you know, I'm like, and I'll tell clients all the time, you can't read minds. So, and you can't, and you can't predict the future. Don't try to be the fortune teller, but it's so easy. It's so easy to jump to conclusions and we, we know history repeats itself. And I think that we're, we're all tempted to do that, for sure. Yeah. I, the all-or-nothing thinking, though, I think I see more of that than anything, because it's black or white. If I'm not perfect, then I failed. Either I do it 100% yeah. right, or I don't do it at all. Well, I wouldn't get yeah. much done if, if that was my philosophy. I'm writing my dissertation now for my PhD, and if I had that philosophy, oh, wonderful! I'd yeah. be in a world of hurt.
2: world and that yeah and that philosophy is also exhausting because it usually takes you in the cycle of push harder crash and burn feel guilty and repeat so it's not sustainable to live in the land of all or nothing and we waste a lot of energy We, but I agree that it's very prominent
1: and we can talk about that when we come back from break so stay with us and we'll talk
0: we'll be back after these messages
1: it's you never
0: heard. did you ever notice you buy more groceries when you use a large shopping cart The shopping cart, or trolley as it was originally called, was invented in 1937 by Sylvan Goldman, owner of two Oklahoma City grocery stores. Back then, shoppers carried their food in wicker baskets. One day, Goldman was observing his customers and realized that as soon as their baskets were full, or too heavy on their arm, people stopped shopping. Goldman thought, if we could somehow give customers two baskets, we could do considerably more business. What's another word for a resourceful person? A de Bruyar. Goldman put wheels on some folding chairs, attached two baskets to the seat, and let the back of the chair act as a handle so the cart could be pushed with one hand. What do you call anything that can be manipulated with one hand? A thumbadoodle. It's Marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now, here's your host, Lee Richardson.
1: So, in the first half of the show, we really talked about how important it is to be able to own your story, come face-to-face with the unresolved hurts, and we all have them, and they're just right beneath the surface, and they'll work their way up into our conscious level. Oh, I don't want to think about that right now, and we'll slap <laughs> them right back down. And I have a feeling you've written a book. Talk to us about the main message in the book.
2: Yeah, the main message of expired mindset is essentially better is possible, which means when we take the time to do the hard and courageous work of looking at what are the thoughts and the behaviors and the patterns that are beneath the surface of my life and kind of driving the way I view the world And if we're willing to go in and kind of dig deep and reconcile and heal some of those places, it really opens us up to live in a way that's going to make us happier. It's going to make us healthier. And then we're not going to fight against all of those negative thought patterns and live life in a much better way.
1: Well, and that's something everybody's looking for. There is no doubt about that. We we all, I think know that there's options out there, but we, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't think everybody knows how to explore those options. Do you?
2: No, I definitely don't think everyone knows how to explore those options because the more you've lived a certain way, the more you may feel like there is no option. You know, one of the common mindsets that we often have is I've always been this way. And then that leads us to believing my only option is to just deal with it because change isn't possible, but it is. But,
1: you know, change
2: is scary. Mm -hmm. When
1: I think about, I'm always like, oh, yes, I'm ready for change. I'm ready to do it. Okay, well, then do it. Oh, yes, I'm ready for change, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and I'll start talking about it but mm-hmm. taking that first step is harder now it's a lot easier if it's if it's something like okay i'm going to quit drinking coffee i'm going to drink tea okay right. that's but to change my behavior or to mm-hmm. change a lifestyle that's mm-hmm. a much bigger step for people
2: yeah well it's important to realize that slow and steady is better than the fast and the furious which means there are no expectations unless we're putting that on ourselves to completely change overnight. And we're better off just choosing one small intentional area of our life and really working on how can I practice being different or making very small changes here? Because we don't want you to be overwhelmed. We want you to feel successful. And then when you make small changes, You build up your confidence and you keep going. And then before long, you go, oh, my goodness, look how much ground I've covered. But typically it's scary because we think I'm supposed to wake up tomorrow and be a different person and then do it perfectly every day for the rest of my life. And that's simply just not true.
1: Well, and you're right. I mean, think about it. And I'll say this with my clients. Think about it when you were a little baby. Did you just get up one day and walk off? No. First, <laughs> right. first you crawled, then, mm-hmm. you, then you
2: tumbled,
1: then you walked.
2: Mm-hmm. I love giving this analogy. If anyone has ever been on a boat or a cruise, when the captain of the ship wants to change directions, he or she makes a few tiny shifts, a few degrees to change course. And you don't feel it. It's not abrupt or it would topple over, but little by little, it turns you into a direction that is where you want to go. So I'll even tell people, maybe make different words. So instead of saying change, can I make a shift? Because that feels a little bit more manageable for a lot of people and a little bit more you know, enticing in a way, because change can be scary and is not always seen as something that we want to invite.
1: You're right about that. And you know what, I think I associate change with the mindset, because if we have a growth mindset, we're definitely Mm -hmm. more open to change. But and I know you talk about in your book, expired mindsets. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so an expired mindset is a mindset or a mentality that in one season of life it was actually beneficial to us in some way, but then as we moved into another season of life, it actually became a barrier to our growth. In the book one of the, you know, kind of examples that I even use is in my own life, being raised by a single mom, I had a very fixed mindset around my relationships with males and going like, oh, I'm not really interested. I don't know that I want to get married. Do I really need a man? I don't need one. Forget that. I'm independent. Well, fast forward to then meeting my husband in college, trying to be in a relationship and then acting like I don't need one is a conflict. And so that mindset was helpful to me growing up because it shielded me from the pain of a father that I feel like I needed to let go But then I had to come face to face and expire that belief in order to move into a healthy relationship and then future marriage. So how hard was that for you? Oh, my goodness. It was extremely hard. It was scary. It was uncomfortable but my husband and i will actually celebrate 25 years of marriage um this july so in probably 4 to 6 weeks and it was worth it but it was not easy i will be right. the first to say it caused me to come face to face with mindsets that i didn't even recognize they were there but i did realize i'm going to have to Put an expiration date on these because otherwise they're going to keep me from what I truly desire in life.
1: Well, but you were able to do it, and when you think about, and I think making changes based on relationships are the hardest mm-hmm. to make because there's so much emotion tied to that yeah. relationship. There's so, it's just so complex. For pe- for our listeners out there that maybe are in a relationship that they feel needs to change on some level, what advice do you have for
2: them? The most primary piece of advice that I would give is to start with the relationship that you have with yourself. So a lot of times we want change in the relationship, but we focus on how can the other person change? I need them to change. I need them to change. And while that may be true, we have no control over whether or not they will change but we do get to choose our own response. We get to choose how we communicate or don't communicate. We get to choose our boundaries, um, depending upon the degree of that relationship. So start with the relationship with yourself, and then that will help clarify, is this a relationship that is going to be sustainable in my life? Do I need to choose something differently? Can I choose something differently? What's within my locus of control and what's not? But we get to choose how we respond and heal the relationship with ourselves.
1: Do you think everybody wants
2: to choose? I think that most people would love to choose, but most people feel like it's not possible because there is that tension of I'm in this relationship with someone, and maybe all I want more than anything is to please them or to have their love and validation. And so that becomes the greatest need. And we want to do whatever it takes in order to make that peace happen. And we don't always realize that sometimes we have to just work inwardly. But I do believe most people want to, but they either don't know how, or they think, but if I do, will this person still be in my life?
1: There comes your friend, Fear. Fear is always it. just a door away, and mm-hmm. you know, and it's a normal reaction when we get our autonomic nervous system gets knocked out of balance, and we start riding mm-hmm. that roller coaster: fear, flight, freeze, freeze, fight, yes. fear, and sometimes we'll get stuck in one spot. But it's mm-hmm. it's a natural reaction for us to have, and I tie that to your mindset because mm-hmm. if you've got if you believe that you can change and if you believe that there's a solution to every problem, that'll help you slide right on through.
2: Yeah. 85% of people who make any kind of change in any part of their life, make it because they believe that they can. That's the difference between the ones who shift you know, go from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset or the ones who stay stuck and fight, flight, freeze or fawn is they find a little space. It doesn't take a lot to believe that better is possible and things don't have to be this way forever. And that hope is a way of overshadowing fear.
1: And I think that even just hearing for some folks to just hear us talk about it. in such a very normal way it's not a big deal Mm -hmm. it's not rocket science it's all very very doable I think that can Mm -hmm. help people walk through that door
2: yeah and to hear it's something that we all experience even myself right I still have knowledge of all of these things but I'm a work in progress. I am constantly also using these tools, looking out for shame and doubt and fear and where it shows up and using things like mindfulness and being in connected and safe relationships to help ground me. You're not alone, you know, when you're experiencing these things. And it also doesn't mean that something's wrong with you because the process may feel more difficult for you than you think it is for other people because we also make a lot of assumptions.
1: Oh, yes, we do. And those are, you know, what happens when you assume.
2: <laughs> yes, I do.
1: I'll never forget that. I, I was in college my first year of college and one of my instructors said that. And I thought, well, I, I learned something today. I can remember yes, that. Yes, did. So... <laughs> Because assuming is, is a no-win for everybody involved. And yes. having the, the right mindset to be a winner, I think, really does, if you have that mindset, you've got to have some resilience to keep that mindset. But we all, we all have times when nothing's going our way. When everything's going my way, I am good. I am just, my confidence is good. I am knocking it out of the ballpark. But then, you know, a little something happens in life and things aren't going my way. And and, uh, I start to doubt myself. And I start to, you know, second question myself. And that's where resilience comes into play. Do you talk about resilience in your book?
2: So I talk about it, but not necessarily using that exact term, You know, I really help people become introspective and go, what does it mean to increase your capacity? I use that word um, versus a resilience piece. And capacity means how can I show up to situations and still have autonomy, honor my needs, but also honor the relationships that I want at the same time? Because what I want people to also think about is making a shift or a change Sometimes means a shift in your environment, a shift in your friendships. One of the struggles that we have, or a lot of people have is they try to make a change while keeping everything else around them the same. And it doesn't work that way. So Increasing your capacity also means that you're willing to take some really brave steps and go, I might need to spend a little bit less time with these people. And increasing your capacity means realizing that your worth doesn't change when things aren't going your way. You're still amazing. You're still great. You're still powerful. You just are having a huge reminder that things are outside of your control.
1: Well, and focus on what you can, can control,
2: not what you can't control. Right. Right. Choose your response because there are so many things in life that we can't do anything about.
1: That's hard to accept, though, isn't it? I mean, I don't really want to be in control of everything. I really don't. (laughs) 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 But, yeah, yeah, you know, when when something happens, that oh, well, I wasn't planning on that. That's not what I Mm -hmm. really wanted. Then it's almost like I do want to be in control.
2: Yeah, which you're you're making the point that I was going to head into. It goes back to fear. Typically, we have a high need for control when we're afraid that something is going to happen. So we think, if I can get ahead of it, if I can manage all of the details, if everyone will do exactly what I say, then I'll feel okay and I'll feel safe and things will be great until you realize that that's not possible So it's much better for us to be able to practice how do you walk through life in neutrality and then trust that here's what I would love to happen and there's nothing wrong with me having that desire, but I'm also going to trust myself and trust that if something happens that I don't enjoy, that I can decide how I want to respond and how to move forward, but I don't have to make impulsive decisions or choices based on my fear or my anxiety or my overwhelm.
1: And that's that's good advice for all of us. It's it really is. It's simple, but it doesn't have to be. And sometimes people look and say, "Well, you make it sound so easy." I'm like, "Well, (laughs) it's the hard part's doing it. Uh, It's really not that difficult." And you know, I think you talk about in your book the Core Four Process, Mm -hmm. and that I think would be very helpful for our listeners to learn about.
2: Sure. So the core four process is a framework that I use to talk about the concept of growth and change. So it takes you through, think of it as a circle through awareness and then moving from that awareness into how do I have action and act on what I see and what I want and desire. Then you move to eviction. What mindsets, relationships, environments, and habits do I need to evict or move out of my life so that I can continue to move forward? And then how do I stay in alignment? What do I need to create as daily habits? What do I want to continue to practice and strengthen? And then also knowing that we can be at a different stage in different areas of our life. You know, if something that we are managing and working on has been very traumatic for us or overwhelming for a long period of time, we might be in the awareness stage for a year of just gaining insight and noticing. But then in other areas, like shifting how we drink coffee or the kind of foods we eat, we might move into action and eviction in a faster stance. So it's seeing it as a cycle and knowing that you can kind of move around, but it's not a one size fits all process in every area, but just kind of noticing am I moving? Am I going through this process? And it is important that I'm aware, I act on it, I evict, unlearn past patterns, and then stay in alignment because that's where I'm going to reap the benefit of the changes that I'm making.
1: So when you talk about eviction, that it, that's a course of action that the individual needs to mm-hmm. own. Can others evict you?
2: So there are definitely times where, are you saying can others evict you, meaning can other people help you with the eviction process? Yes, yes. I believe that you can be around people that are going through the eviction process themselves. And as a result of watching them go through this process, it encourages you to see the benefit. But the power of eviction is that you're making the choice, that you don't feel like somebody is pulling something away from you. Because even the things that we feel like we want to give up if we feel like somebody is taking it from us, we rebel and we're resistant. Eviction is the process of you're going, I'm choosing to unlearn, to move, to walk away because I'm ready and I get to do this, and this is how I take ownership of it. So I believe you can be influenced and encouraged by other people doing the same. But the problem with other people doing it for you is that then you become dependent on them for the process instead of learning how to do it for yourself.
1: And you make such a good point about unlearning. Everything that we learn can be unlearned.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, it can. And it's a process and not always a quick one, Mm -hmm. but it can be unlearned. And that is a big part of the better being possible We just have to be intentional on practice doing something different.
1: Well, of the four steps, I would imagine awareness. I I know people that are so self-aware and I know others that have zero Mm self-awareness. And so I see that as such a huge continuum that people could slide Mm -hmm. on. How have
2: you experienced it? Just as you're saying, it is a significant continuum and that's where we match awareness and action because I know and have worked with thousands of people who might be cognitively aware. They can sit down and they can recognize and recall it outside of the moment. But this level of awareness also means, can I see it? Before I start doing it, when I'm in the planning and temptation stage, am I aware of it in the moment when I'm watching myself engage in that pattern of fear where I back away and isolate and don't communicate my needs? So awareness is much more complex. It definitely has a huge continuum. But having awareness alone isn't enough for change because there are people who have phenomenal insights around themselves and are also still doing the exact same thing they were doing 10 years ago. And why do you think that is? The action. It's the, the biggest step is from awareness to action because action means I actually have to consistently do things different and in a way that isn't comfortable. So I know what I'm doing, but I'm comfortable. I minimize it. I rationalize it. It's not that bad. I could be doing worse things. So then we really just get stuck in awareness and we just talk a big talk and don't really do anything different.
1: Wow. Well, and that doesn't do us very much good, does it?
2: it? It doesn't at all. Because there's always a cost to our inaction, whether that cost is to us, whether that cost is. We miss out on opportunities that would have come our way or we would have had the courage to take, but because our awareness wasn't truly there and we weren't willing to make those shifts, it limits our possibility and our potential. So those are often the people who feel like they are later in life in crisis because they knew this was the time that I needed to make those changes and I wasn't ready but now that I see how that's impacted my life and how it's kept me from things, they're often left with regret because of the missed time and opportunity.
1: Mm. That's the, the regret. that's a hard that's a hard thing to deal with. We've got it about is. four minutes left in the show. What would you like the takeaways for our listeners? What would you like them to take away from the show?
2: Yeah. Biggest takeaways is you become what you believe. So really being aware of that internal narrative and what you're saying to yourself is so important. And the moment you realize that, man, what I'm saying to myself isn't always kind, is taking the time to speak to yourself differently. And then two, own your story, which means Move away from pointing the finger at other people around why you can't be this and why you can't do that and give yourself permission to go, I can choose how I show up. I can choose how I respond regardless of the way other people around me are showing up in the world because I deserve better and I want better. So really love on yourself and be courageous.
1: And who doesn't want self-love? I mean, I used to call it self-care, and now it mm-hmm. I, it's evolved. It's more than just self-care. It's it's self-love. We all need it, and it's okay if we need it. It it totally mm-hmm. is. And I know that you're on Facebook and LinkedIn, but I know that you have a website set up where there's mm-hmm. all kinds of good information and our listeners can get a free PDF Resource on Exposing Unhealthy Guilt. Tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about that.
2: Sure. So my website is drcharise.com and Charisse is spelled C-H-A-R-R-Y-S-E. And it is a really great resource and place to get that PDF on Exposing Unhealthy Guilt. For those who want to subscribe, I also send out weekly emails that most people love that are filled with videos of me talking to you about life concepts, gentle encouragement, getting to know you. And then I usually will put things like this show and other shows that provide tools and resources that are free for people to listen to on that website as well. So it has been and become a really great tool for those who click. That's great. And I think that there's so I, I
1: did a quick look at the website before our call and there's so much on there. I'm like, I got to be sure I mention that. But I also have to be sure I go back and look some mm-hmm. more because there is a lot there. And anyone that's interested in your book, is that on Amazon? Is that on your website? Where would they get that?
2: Yes, so both. You can get it on Amazon or it can be ordered through Barnes & Noble or any local bookstore, but Amazon's typically the easiest and there is a link as well on my website to get the book or any other resources that I've created. Um I actually have a mindset journal that walks people through a system of success that they can use of how do I put all of this together to work on making changes? So I have a process that is there that can be used in 25 minutes a day to really help you make those small shifts.
1: I can't thank you enough for being on the show today, Dr. Charisse, and and, and sharing your story. It's not a, you know, it wasn't a, just a princess story, that's for sure. <laughs> but being able to share your story and be able to share your resources for our listeners I appreciate that very, very much. Thank you again.
2: And thank you so much for having me. It was such a joy.
0: On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com.